0: Warning this podcast episode may contain explicit content, including swearing, discussion of sexual violence and rape, and other adult content.
1: Welcome to Crow Club, a Shadow and Bone and Grisha Verse podcast. If you've been listening, you know that what you can expect from this podcast is spoilers, lots and lots of spoilers for literally everything. We will be talking about the short story, The Tailor, which is written from Jenya's point of view, and it's available on the internets, and it is free. We will put the link in the show notes. Highly recommend it, both as a short story and reading it before you listen to this podcast, because we will be discussing it at length if I have anything to say about it. My name is JJ. I'm Kat. And I'm Anjali. And today's topic is Jenya. So, let's start out with a name fun fact. The name Genya, when it comes from the Latin root, means virginal and pure, which I have to say, yeesh. When it is a Russian diminutive, it means noble or well-born. And both of those feel like a real dig at the character in a way that is different from most of the other names we've discussed.
2: That's a really interesting way to frame it. Both of you know, I have a partner whose diminutive is also Genya, so I'm pretty familiar with this name. And the Russian version comes from, it's the diminutive of Eugene or Eugenia or Eugenie. And it means well-born, but it's coming from the Greek roots, you, good, and gen, like born. And that's actually the same roots as eugenics. And so mm-hmm. while eugenics is not the same thing as tailoring, I think they actually like are ideas that dovetail nicely together in terms of, you know, improving things in a superficial way, improving people in a superficial way. And I always kind of thought that is why Lee Bardugo chose that name.
1: Wow. I, that just blew my mind. Okay. So either the name is a huge dig at her or... We're talking about eugenics. Not where I expected this to go. Name fun fact number two. I was in the fandom for a couple years before I learned that it was supposed to be pronounced Jenya. I did not mentally change how I pronounced it until we were several episodes into this podcast. So can we spend a little bit of time just talking about Jenya and High-level overview of, like, character and arc.
2: So in the books, we meet Genya fairly early on upon Alina's arrival to the little palace. She ostensibly is there to help Alina get ready for a royal audience, but she becomes Alina's friend and her companion. She's in a sort of unique position for Grisha because... She's technically a servant of the court, and she belongs to the queen, and as we'll see, kind of the king as well. At the end of the first book, she's revealed to have actually been working for the Darkling, helping to poison and weaken the king, and she's been deceiving Alina the entire time in regards to Mal to weaken their friendship and bond. Eventually, after Lena runs away, she has the chance to shoot her, but she just can't bring herself to do it. So in return for sparing her, the Darkling sort of goes crazy and unleashes his Nichiboya on her and leaves her heavily scarred and with only one eye. And she was incredibly beautiful before, so this is like a real hard change for her to take. She eventually changes sides to help fight for Alina, and at the end of the book, she is part of the Grisha Triumvirate with Zoya and David. I would say for the rest of the book, she's more of a background character. There are fewer chapters that are focusing on her and what she's going through, but I think she serves as a really interesting friendship figure for Zoya, and that reading her chapters is always really interesting to me.
1: All right. So should we start with, <laughs> should we start at the beginning? We first meet Jenya when she's helping Alina get ready, both in the show and in the books.
0: That first scene, so I reread it in preparation for today's episode. And it is so weird and uncomfortable to me to reread it. Like She's having the clothing like ripped off of Alina by the servants in spite of her own trauma that she's been through and her suffering. She does thing like touches Alina's face without consent. I don't know about YouTube, but I really don't like it if people touch my face unexpectedly. And that entire scene, I think she comes off as this like, like bossy, sassy, you know, kind of girl boss, like a little overconfident with tinges of bitterness and like more complexity underneath. And I think we're supposed to like her, but I found her very off-putting in that first scene, personally.
1: That's different from the show, right? Where she actually tells all of the servants who are being terrible to Alina to go away and then sort of apologizes.
2: I do think their friendship, like enduring from that setup, is really interesting because, you know, Jenya I don't think was really supposed to keep hanging out with Alina. That's not what the, or maybe she was, maybe the Mm. Darkling wanted her as a spy. But I think the way that Alina somewhat unintentionally Wins over Jenya's heart is she taps into this deep insecurity that Jenya has, which is like, no one wants to talk to me. Everyone hates me because I belong to the court. No one's going to sit with me. And Alina sort of blithely walks past all the various orders fighting over who she's going to sit with and is like, oh, I'm going to sit with Jenya, right? No big deal. And everyone else is like, what? You want to sit with the outcast? But I think that really wins Jenya's heart in some ways.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely team Jenya was supposed to be a spy. And it's just luck mm. that it ended up working out as well as it did. That, you know, they actually really became friends. Are you too convinced by their
0: friendship, especially in book one before the betrayal and everything else that happens? Did it feel like, oh, I totally understand why Alina is like latching on to her and getting close and, you know, from the Taylor perspective, we can see that you know, Jenya is also becoming fond of Alina and starting to consider her a real friend. I'm curious if you two, like as you were reading it, especially like the first time, like were you convinced?
2: Yeah, I was really convinced. I did not think Jenya of all people is going to betray Alina like that. I sense that they both felt like outsiders and that's why they were drawn to each other. And that was the bond of their friendship.
1: Yeah, I was definitely convinced. I will say it's not my favorite Trope. I don't even know what this would be called.
0: It's like the sassy friend who comes and gives you a makeover. Yeah.
1: Like, <laughs> I don't right? love makeover scenes, <laughs> especially the one where she's in the dress for the winter fete and then they kick Zoya out and it's like Zoya's yeah. all jealous and, you know, Alina sitting with Jenya and everyone else is like, <gasps> and it feels very high school drama. But I thought their relationship got a lot more interesting for sure after Jenya's betrayal and then kind of Alina's forgiveness and they're starting to rebuild it together.
0: I may just be a hater, but I wasn't convinced by it the first time. I think part of it is because I didn't like Jenya at first. Like I said, it felt like this like sassy, you know, good looking Person who takes, like, the ugly duckling under their wings trope that I'm not super fond of. She is of. very snarky. She's super snarky. She's, like, sassy, I think, specifically, which is, like, it's, like, borderline annoying, like, overconfident, a little arrogant, but just for me, I was like, I am not, like, it doesn't make sense to me how they become so close so fast, and it felt forced, like, okay, she's supposed to have this friend who's going to betray her, and we're all going to, like, you know, feel really shocked when she betrays her but after I read the Taylor, I think I developed way more maybe empathy or like I just like felt like Jenya was a much more interesting character to me and I liked her more and it just was like a good reminder of how key perspective chapters can be in affecting your perception of a character
1: totally I was a little taken aback at how quickly Jenya seemed to move on from being Alina's best friend to being Zoya's best friend. I have <laughs> definitely gotten invested in the Alina-Jenya friendship by the end of the trilogy and then bam! Alina's out of the picture. Zoya's the new bestie and Jenya's doing all that support. Not that Zoya needs her to do her hair or whatever, but that that took me by surprise for sure.
0: I also noted this down from the first trilogy that but- what did you think of Jenya not deciding to leave with Alina when she had that chance? So this is specifically, I think, when they're on the boat, right? And then there's, like, the coup of sorts, and Alina tells her, come with us.
2: Interesting that you see Zoya switch sides to Alina, who's, like, the evil character. Mm-hmm. And Jenya, who, you know, while she's a spy, has a lot of redemptive characteristics, and she does it, and... It's interesting because I don't think Jenya is, you know, inherently evil or anything like that. But mm-hmm. I think, especially when you read the Taylor, you see how dependent she is on the Darkling's like praise and affirmation. And she, I mean, she's been conditioned to be. Mm-hmm. Reading the Taylor is very depressing, but it's she can't break free of that. And it's I think she wants to go with Alina, but the Darkling is providing her with something she needs, so she can't.
0: It's a good point. I always think of it as, oh, she's like so loyal to people like the Darkling or the Queen. When we read the Taylor, even though the Queen is already being like a massive jerk to her, she still like feels fond and says she kind of misses the approval. It's a good point that maybe she's just so like starved of, you know, any sort of affection that she's like taking the like this isn't even the bare minimum. Right. It's not even the bare minimum from the Darkling, but she's taking that and like remaining at his side to a point where the other Grisha, like David included, are like, I'm out of here.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of this was very deliberate on the Darklings part. She was not ready to jump ship at what she... (laughs) She was not ready to jump the literal ship at what she saw. And I think Zoya had the benefit of a little bit more processing time. Like, I do get the sense that if Jenya had been given a day or two... She may have gone with Alina instead.
0: I'd actually love to get into that now. Her relationship with the Darkling and his punishment of her.
1: It certainly seems from the Shadow and Bone trilogy like the Darkling has specifically isolated Jumya from the other Grisha. He made sure that she's in a white Kefta and will thus not have any friends in this very hierarchical and competitive environment that he's made her only friend is him now going to the tailor but we do see she has special access to him coming out of the banya he makes this real dividing line and then the only grisha she can rely on the only person she can rely on ends up being him we've talked about is the darkling a master manipulator i do think war strategy is a little bit missing but you know if His goal here is to have Jenya dependent on him. Why that's his goal is a little bit less clear to me. But I certainly think the setup there was well planned and executed. She really doesn't have anywhere else she can turn until Alina comes. Oh,
2: absolutely. And it's not just that she becomes dependent on him. He gives her to the queen knowing full well that she's going to grow up and be gar- gorgeous and be someone that the king is going to want forced force to sleep with him. And therefore, she's going to have access to the king. She's going to have access to the queen. And it's really sad that when she comes to him for help, when she's being sexually assaulted, he does not stop it. And he gives her a choice, but really his words are so manipulative. And he essentially says like, well, you can be a soldier. You can stop this if you just endure this. You know, you can be useful, and she believes it, and she believes that he's on her side. And we can see as readers, as position, or as people positioned outside this power dynamic, that it's incredibly messed up. And he has the ability to save her from this, but does not. I mean, it masterclass manipulation by him on, in all senses. Totally.
1: Now, the punishment he gives to Jenya. I'm going to say he failed his own masterclass. When he finds out she betrayed him, he sixes Nietzsche Boya on her. And she's bitten all over and all scarred up. And she loses an eye and it's bad. We've had before a debate about how much control over Nietzsche Boya does he have and who they bite and when and what. So to me, it's a little bit open Did he specifically sick them on her? I think it's reasonable to assume he did. I can also see an argument that he didn't. If he didn't deliberately, I think he's trying to make the best of a bad situation, like hiding his lack of control. If he did, I think it's just him being super petty and strange, and then he just lets her go. What is that? He's not known for mercy. It's so weird. I definitely see this punishment. More than anything is specifically the thing that Bardugo has said that she was really prioritizing in that first trilogy, which is you have a character and then you take away the thing that defines them to them, like she does to Mal, like she does to Alina. She did that to Genya. Here, her beauty is destroyed.
2: So, I mean, yes, it is ultimately Lee Bardugo taking away the thing that matters, the character thinks defines them. But I saw this as the Darkling trying to take away the thing that he thinks to find genuine. She is somewhat superficial in that she literally cares a lot about physical appearances. That is her job. She has a great aesthetic sense that she really values and she's already very beautiful and she is per- perfects herself even more with her own tailoring skills. And so I think he's he thinks, "Oh, this is a thing that will destroy her." And he underestimates her he doesn't see that inner strength that she's gonna not just collapse she's gonna pick herself up from this and fight against but him.
1: how did he not see it if he was relying on her to do these things if he has been this close to her since her childhood and watched her go through all these things it seems like an underestimation that is just a very basic mistake isn't
0: that his fatal flaw like with all of these characters that he underestimates them or overestimates his influence over them like Alina you know Zoya, Genya
2: Teenagers man, can't control them (laughs) (laughs) He's like 600 years old and he's like being defeated by a bunch of 18 year olds out
0: of control. Yeah because
1: he's so overpowered you have to give him the Fatal flaw of just being like ah, they're kids. One thing I was gonna say though is I know this is not an episode
0: on the dark even though I'm always happy to <laughs> take it there. It's that scene where he like presents Genya back to Alina. What was he doing? Like he was trying to bring Alina back. I just don't understand. Like what was the plan there in terms of like now is a good time to present Genya? Alina will definitely come running back into my arms. Like that. It was interesting because that was one of the moments in the books where lena's really grappling with her like descent to like darkness and power right and then he shows her her like former best friend completely mauled
1: and expects
0: that the like again this is like a questionable strategic
1: move yeah, here it is absolute clown town i have no answers there
0: i think something you said Angela, that was really interesting is about how much Jenya cares about beauty It is so true, especially when you read the Taylor. It's, she's almost like OCD about things being perfect and like, you know, visually aesthetically appealing. Mm -hmm. But the two men that she, you know, likes the most are Mm. the Darkling and David, who both seem to care the least about looks. In fact, at one point, Jenya actually tells Alina, like the Darkling doesn't care what you look like. And I was like, oh, this is, like, really interesting. It's hard to tell if she's, like, a little bitter, but, you know, like because she feels the pull, too, or if that's, like, part of the appeal to her in some way where she's like, I care so much about beauty and making myself attractive, and yet the two people who I respect the most and like the most, like, the two men, I should say, that she likes and respects the most seem to want, be the ones who care the least about that.
1: Yes. So hard disagree on the Darkling not caring about beauty. I think... It is not an accident that he looks the way that he does, number one. (laughs) And, I mean, he created the little palace, which is specifically incredibly beautiful. I think he has a huge eye for and understanding of the value of aesthetics, which I do think is different than him needing... To have everyone around him be beautiful, which they just happen to be because they're all Grisha. He places a huge value on aesthetics, I would guess more than Genya in a lot of ways.
2: Yeah, I see JJ made a note that her pet theory is (laughs) Taylor's must have existed before Genya because... The Darkling has tailored himself to be smooth-shaven always.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the other option is that he can't grow facial hair, which I just don't believe. If you mess can. with Merzost. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> okay. So one of the things that we see in the tailor is that the Darkling... After a conversation with Jenya, the Darkling gives Jenya back the letters that Alina wrote to Mal that Jenya has taken and given to the Darkling instead of posting them. And then in, again, what I really think in the story is just masterful ma- manipulation, he says, I'll give you back the letters. You can decide what to do with them. You can post them. You can burn them. Do whatever you want. And she, of course, ends up burning them, which is why he gave them back to her, because then she would own that decision.
0: Yeah, he's making her complicit. Like every single step along the way, she's continuing to kind of opt in until at the end, she can't, she feels like she can't leave him, right? Because she just kept, you know, not saying no or like, you know, going with his default as it ramped up and became more and more, you know, outrageous or like at a certain point, you're kind of fully yeah. in. So there's a point in the Taylor where Jenya asks the Darkling, do you care about her at all? And I'm like, this is the million dollar question. Like so much of the fandom just wants to know the answer to. And of course, he's like evasive.
2: <laughs> it's kind of a bold question for Jenya to ask him. I was surprised. I mean, delighted, but... It's not very respectful or demure. What's the right word I'm looking for here. It doesn't seem like her place to ask him, and I'm surprised she'd be so forward as to ask him.
1: I mean, I think what we see in the story is that they have a relationship that is very close in a way that is surprising. Not close in the Darkling (laughs) sharing details about himself, but he has set himself up to be a person who Jenya is comfortable going to saying that, yeah. you know, that she is being raped and that this is a problem and she mm-hmm. needs help. Or as he convinces her, she doesn't need help. But I was surprised that she had that conversation with him the first time I read the Taylor. She had to know that he knew what was going to happen. And she's still coming to him about it anyway, which is definitely a deep trust on her part. It is. Was she really asking, do you care about me at all? Ooh,
0: I think you're right in some ways. That's probably what she had been struggling with to some degree and kept convincing herself he does. That's why he's giving me the choice. He said, you know, I could go away from all this and he'd keep me safe. But Jenya's no fool, right? And even isolated, I think she's probably doubting his true intentions towards her. Love that good spin, JJ. So, I think another interesting thing that we can maybe get into is Jenya poisoning the king. Like, what was the whole situation there? Why was it so slow? Like,
1: what was happening? So, there is the direct quote from how Jenya describes this. I'll read quickly so that we have that as the basis. So, she says, I poisoned my skin, my lips, so that every time he touched me, every time he kissed me, he took sickness into his body. I had to purge it from my skin, then heal the burns the lie would leave. Every single time.
0: So whose idea do you think that was? Hmm? As a way of poisoning the king? Or, sorry, as a way of taking down the king?
1: Was that Genya's idea? Do we think the Darkling incepted in her? Mind? I would say... Darkling's idea. This is not the most roundabout way to kill someone, but, like, certainly an extremely roundabout way to kill someone that comes at great expense to Genya. And I don't really understand it. I mean, I understand it as, like, a good plot point, but I don't understand it as a strategy.
2: I mean, maybe he wants to really enervate the king to weaken him greatly because you know by the time we see him he's this gross old man that literally ineffective
0: yeah
2: yeah and so possibly some of that is because he's been having this poison for years and i also you know i think the idea may have been the darklings but we see in the tailor that Jenya concocts the poison herself. I think it's the bottle she calls the ornamental blade, and she's you know caressing it. It's her favorite bottle, and I think for Jenya, it's it's this form of irony where he's bringing on his death every time that he assaults her, and so he deserves it. And so it's not something that you know she's doing to like proactively to him. It's just, if you want to do this to me, then this is what you're going to get.
1: From ornamental blade to Occam's razor, how could she have done this more simply? She is a Grisha and she has some corporal abilities and she could have slowly made him sick just and have done a little bit more every time he raped her it's interesting even that the king, as he is slowly becoming sick, does not apparently jump to the conclusion that it is the Grisha who he's repeatedly raping, who he knows can change people's bodies around, that is actually responsible for this. And it's interesting that she seems to evade that where it actually seems like she has a much more readily accessible weapon than the one that she is using.
2: I'm just going to double down on my theory that I think this falls. This method falls into Genya's sort of moral code, where she feels like she's not proactively trying to kill the king. This is something he's doing to himself. This is like instant karma every time he rapes her.
1: And she's really suffering, too.
0: So that brings me to another question I have, which is, we talked a little bit about why the Darkling, we think, punished her the way he did, and you know, Anjali was talking about how she didn't react. I think the way he expected her to question for you two is why do we think tailoring doesn't work on those types of scars?
2: That's a great question. Maybe the scars are, cannot be touched by Jenya's power because they're related to Merzost because they come from the Nichiboya. Yeah.
0: So why can't tailoring affect Merzost related injuries?
1: Because tailoring is drawing on the making of the heart of the world and Merzost is something fully different that it can't touch.
0: So I always thought that, too. But as I was rereading again for this, like, incorporation for this episode, in the end of Siege and Storm, there is a part where she's drawing on the Darkling's power to try and, like, you know, take them both down. The direct quote from Siege and Storm about this is, this was not the small science. This was magic something ancient, the making at the heart of the world. It was terrifying, limitless.
2: Yeah, that makes me feel like Alina doesn't understand <laughs> the
0: small science is. <laughs> Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm going to chalk that up to Alina not knowing what she's talking about for sure.
0: Okay, so it sounds like we don't fully have, like have a full-baked theory on why small science can't be used to like counter Merzost-inflicted wounds or scars is that fair I
1: mean I think you know certainly plot relevant or important for the plot that tailoring doesn't work on her scars because otherwise she'd just get rid of them so easily
0: Like, I don't think she's the type to keep scars for like what they mean to her yeah so we talked a little bit about Jenya's relationships with Alina and the Darkling let's talk about her relationship with David
2: I mean their relationship is very sweet Right? I think we've touched on a little bit about how David is a very unexpected love interest for Jenya, being someone that is so into aesthetics, and David is someone who doesn't even realize they exist. But I mean, I like to think that they, part of what attracts Jenya to David is that know, yeah, she is a little bit materialky and yes, she may be beautiful and she may be dealing with physical appearance in almost every aspect of her life, but I think she is a bit of a nerd too and she cares about those things and I think she's really able to see David's brilliance in that way and I just imagine that they have, you know, nerdy conversations in private about all those things.
0: Totally. I love the scenes where they're like working together in their workshop, you know, on problems and solutions I just find that like really sweet
1: yeah I think I actually got the most clue as to why she likes David from the tailor where she's talking about why she likes Ivan Mm -hmm. which it's was unexpected and the quote here is about Ivan still I like him he treats me with disdain but it's the exact same disdain he shows everyone else with David we can see he is so preoccupied with what he's working on that he doesn't have this time to worry about Jenya's white Kefta and whether or not it's cool to be talking to her or if, you know, he's gonna be more ostracized or whatever it is. And my guess is that's a lot of what drew Jenya to him and maybe just her general affinity for material stuff.
2: Can we talk about David's most romantic moment ever? This is post David's death, which I think we also need to talk about. And they discovered David's notebook and it is scrawled ideas for compliments, hair, color, texture, smile, causes and effects, tolerance, tailoring, tonic, sense of style, inquire on style, teeth, <laughs> question mark, size of feet. He's written down all these ideas for compliments for Jenya to make her happy, and it is the most adorable thing ever. And Lee Berdugo is so cruel for writing that after she goes ahead and kills him for basically no reason. That is
1: doesn't Jenya burn that list too? Yes. Which is like like what? what? Um but yes, that was truly adorable and romantic and incredible so why did bardugo kill off david
0: you know it's interesting i know we all hate this trope because it's just like a frustrating trope to have a character's death be the advancement of someone else's character yet it didn't even like wasn't even true in this case so it really does you know make me wonder like was killing off david just to like give us like Someone we cared about died, but not quite one of our main mains, like you know, Zoya or Nikolai or something.
2: Yeah, I feel like she felt like she needed to include death to make the plotting make sense, but I found it upsetting because I think it wasn't necessary. I, one, I think she could have just let Jenya be happy finally. I think (laughs) Jenya has earned that, but two, I think you're totally right, like it doesn't actually cause any really interesting development in Genya?
0: Like, or in the plot in general. S- yeah. I will say, maybe I'm too much looking on the like silver lining, but I feel like it's an indication that if there's a new series, Genya will be a major character. I think Bardugo loves doing this. I think of Matthias and
1: Nina. You know? like, mm, got I would actually love her that. Oh her my life. gosh, if, if we have Genya point of view chapters in the next thing, oof, I'd be into that.
2: Yeah, because their point of view in the Taylor is amazing, and it's so revelatory. Yeah,
0: yeah. And then the other relationship that I wanted to just touch on briefly, because you know that I'm such a big Zoya fan. What do you think of the Genya Zoya relationship friendship? You know how it develops from the first trilogy to the last duology.
1: It develops surprisingly. It is interesting because in many ways, the Darkling's manipulation of both Genya and Zoya has similarities. And so in a lot of ways, they've gone through very similar things, which they sort of bring up at various points about how terrible the Darkling was and all these things that he did to them. And then they're together in the triumvirate. And I understand how a bond forms out of all of that, even though there was all of this deliberate antagonizing of each other in the beginning of the book. What we see in the tailor, even it's she'd learned long ago to never give Zoya the last word. Yeah. But I also felt like a lot of their relationship in King of Scars and Rule of Wolves was rooted in Jenya being happy, kind of having this center that Zoya very much lacked. And Jenya was like, I'm here and I'm gonna like keep you from doing all those crazy things that you think you wanna do. Like killing the darkling every single chance she gets, you know? <laughs> but that seemed to be one of the large parts of their relationship.
0: In the King of Scars and Rule of Wolves duology, I thought their friendship made so much sense in that Jenya is one of the only people who can stand up to Zoya, who's like really freaking scary and intimidating, let alone like dragon, you know, queen, and also keep up with her. Right? And I think that's actually hard for someone like Zoya to find. Makes you a little bit like why weren't you two friends in the first trilogy like you just wasted all this time you know I only wish we'd seen more of their friendship and it it had been more of like a major part of the narrative in that duology it felt very much like a genuine sideline supporting and pushing Zoya but because Jenny didn't have nearly as big a role to play in that duology it's just like, it felt like, oh, this was like a missed opportunity,
1: I guess. I just have to bring up their interaction in Crooked Kingdom, which is one of my favorite quotes, probably one of my favorite lines Genya has, where Zoya gets all upset and she stops off and they're in like the baths area, whatever. And Zoya's like, I'm going to go take a bath. And Genya calls after her, don't drown. And then she winks at whoever the other person is there. And she goes, maybe she'll do it just to be contrary. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah,
0: I just love their dynamic.
1: Yeah, I do want to call out here. We had initially envisioned this podcast being about Jenya and the theory of tailoring. But of course, as often happens, we did not cover both of those because we got so into the first one. So look out for our next episode to be about tailoring and that's why we don't go so into the theory of it in this episode lightning
0: round what are your quick thoughts on jenya
1: i like jenya as a
2: character i know i i enjoyed her snarkiness in the beginning (laughs) and she became less so through the series i think she's more of this kind of like stalwart good friend. I like the idea of her character showing she comes across as, you know, maybe someone that's very superficial, someone into physical appearance. And then through the tailor, but even through the two duologies, you really see a lot of layers below the surface and how she's really smart. She's really loyal and she's really strong. You know, things the darkling didn't necessarily see. And I love how she, she's a great friend to alina and zoya and brings out the best in both of them as well and so just structurally plot wise a great addition to the series
1: i love the way she's so into how things look and talks all the time about making things look pretty and it's just to distract people from the fact that her main job is assassin i love that i think that's a great character that gives her a lot of complexity in a way that I think is really fun I mean I think you two
0: could tell but she definitely grew on me over time first trilogy I was not into the sassy sidekick friend character but Taylor really helped so much so that by the next two duologies I was already growing fond of her I think one interesting thing about Jenya is how she thinks Alina is so transparent with her feelings When Alina feels, like, the same way about Jenya, like, she notices the bitterness towards the king, her feelings for David, and I'm just like, oh, maybe that's why they bonded. They both felt like they were both just so, like, transparent to each other. Would you care to tell us about a wedding cake for Jenya and David?
2: Sure. I think it was somewhat controversial in Rule of Wolves that the royal wedding that was advertised at the beginning of the book turned out to be Jenya and David's. However, I will say, if anyone deserved to have all the pomp and circumstance of a royal wedding, it was Jenya. Like, that girl loves her aesthetics, and that is the perfect venue for it. So of course, for her royal wedding cake, she is going to have a seven-tiered cake. The exterior will be all white with extremely fancy string work piping and beautiful sugar roses on every tier. And we know from the tailor that Jenya loves to eat rich food. So this mm-hmm. cake is going to be German chocolate. Very rich and a little heavy with the condensed milk frosting, but extremely delicious. And we know David does not care about how this wedding cake will look. So it's basically all her opinion.
1: I love it. So book recommendations. Kat and I both came with the same book recommendation, which is the Mance Trilogy by Naomi Novik, which absolute delight. I listened to the audiobooks. I thought they were fantastic on audiobooks. So if that's your thing, I highly recommend that format. I can make some good arguments for the protagonist being a lot of the things I really liked about Alina and dealing with mm-hmm. some of those similar issues in some ways. I mean,
0: what's there not to like? It's a magic school, YA, with, that starts out kind of like lighthearted and funny and then becomes... Twisted and dark, and there's a lot going on.
2: And for those of you that are not a fan of our favorite tracker, all the evil creatures in this book are named Mal.
0: (laughs) Great connection. (laughs) The other series that Anjali recommended to me that I've been enjoying recently is the Bone Shard trilogy. The first book is called The Bone Shard Daughter. Really love it because it's such a unique, new, like, magic world that involves using bone shards with magic, combining, you know, politics, intrigue, like a lot going on. Again, quite fun. So before I let you two go, you know, it's time for your kiss, marry, kill. Mm -hmm. Today's options include Jenya, Zoya, and Inej.
2: Whoa, that's not fair.
1: That's like all the best (laughs) Is it ever fair (laughs) though? Okay. Okay. I don't want to do this, but I'm going to have to do it. <laughs> I have to kill Inej Whoa. because otherwise I'm worried that she will kill me first. So. You're not worried about Zoya? <laughs> I'm less worried about Zoya. <laughs> because I think Zoya talks a big game, but mm. if she were really the sort of person who would just kill me on a whim, she would definitely have killed the Darkling. I think Show Inej, I have to worry less about killing me than Book Inej, but Book Inej definitely is going to kill me when I'm least expecting it. So have to get her first. Then kiss Zoya because unclear if she is more beautiful or not than Genya was. But, you know, definitely marry Genya because if you're going to be married to someone, she seems like the best person to be married to by, by a long shot.
0: I tend to agree that Genya is a great choice to marry. I think that's also in large part because she just lost David, so now is my <laughs> chance to swoop in before Bardugo pairs her off with someone Cat else. Cat on the rebound. Like, like, yeah, exactly. Now is my chance. We've talked, I think, in previous episodes about how it's probably really great to be married to such a talented tailor. As you age and like, you know, like she's also got some of like the healing. It sounds like you know, debatable how good her skills are, but <laughs> I think that makes her an obvious marriage candidate to me think it's like tough between Zoya and Inej for me I am leaning towards killing Zoya even though I love her so much I just don't think she's the like one night stand that I'm looking for maybe I can also become queen now I don't know I don't know how this inheritance works anymore and is great I have no problem kissing her
1: Kaz may kill me If Zoya is not your idea of a one-night stand, I'm trying to figure out what your idea of a one-night... Like, what are you really looking for there? I think if you,
0: like, you know, kiss and or hook up with Zoya, you're going to be coming back for more. Mm. And I'm less scared of Nikolai than I am of Kaz, so maybe my, like, decisions here don't make a lot of sense, but, you know, I'm going to go with it for now.
2: I'm going to go with the grain. I would also marry Jenya. She seems like the best partner with perhaps the least... Emotional baggage out of all of them. Like no intimacy issues. And I guess the in-house plastic surgeon part is also nice. I would kill Zoya just because I think if I didn't get rid of her, she would try to get rid of me at some point. And then I'd kiss a nudge. Alright. Thanks for listening to another episode. If you have any questions or feedback for us, please drop us a line at crowclubpod at gmail.com.